Hello, and welcome to the Canopy Boulder podcast, where we talk about the intersection of entrepreneurship and investing in the legal cannabis industry. Each week, we'll give you our perspectives on the latest news in the industry, bringing you insightful interviews with entrepreneurs, investors, and the industry pros, and also go deeper on topics like launching a business, building a team, valuation, and pitching investors. Why would we take on such a challenge? Well, we've helped launch 80 companies into the cannabis industry here at Canopy Boulder and made over 100 individual investments into these companies. So you might say we have the inside line on things. So join us as we take you deeper into legal cannabis and uncover all the nuances of starting up and investing in the cannabis industry. Hello, my name is Patrick Ray, and I'm the co-founder and managing partner here at Canopy Boulder. And today on the Canopy Boulder podcast, we're going to talk with Colin Farian, the CEO of Deep Green, a bit of an alumni profile this week uh, here on the podcast. Uh, Colin and his team graduated from the fall 2017 cohort of Canopy Boulder. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, what Deep Green is up to and also about Colin's experiences as an entrepreneur and uh, the team's experience in the Accelerator. So welcome to the podcast, Colin. Thanks so much for having me, Patrick. Glad to have you here. So uh, let's get into it. Uh, Colin, who are you and what are you doing here? (laughs) Um, Well, Patrick, I'm the CEO of Deep Green, as mentioned. Um, We make computer vision for uh, all different sorts of use cases throughout agriculture. What we started um, with our focus was on cannabis and identifying pests, diseases, and growth rate analysis within cultivations for growers because we found that it was such a pain point for their scouting. Um, My background specifically is in corporate finance and all of the rest of my team members have backgrounds in engineering, whether it's physics, computer science, or data science. Great. So let's back up. Let's talk about computer vision because these terms, computer vision, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, like these are uh, almost sort of buzzwords in entrepreneurial and investing circles. What is computer vision? So maybe if we start from a mile high and we'll work our way down to the ground. But most simply, computer vision is the ability to teach a machine how to interpret an image. Um, The effect of giving it eyes and using a brain as the artificial intelligence or uh, what you might call more technically a neural network model. Now, a little bit closer to the weeds and how that works, uh, for those that are interested, if you think about any given image has pixels all over it and that's how the image gets built. Those pixels each compromise a certain amount of numbers Now, if you put all those numbers into linear algebra matrices and build pattern detection algorithms to identify certain patterns, uh, certain ways to detect images within objects, this is how neural networks get built, specifically within the realm of computer vision. Okay. So that's a lot, right? There's a lot of things that you need to get done as a team to execute on this vision, to deliver uh, the information that uh, your customers need. Uh, Talk to me about the team, because you're just one person in a greater team, and I also want to hear the story of how y'all came together. (laughs) 
So let's start with the story of how we came together, and that'll kind of describe the team as that's a good context. Um, it's a rather unique story, uh, and I'm going to try and keep it shorter rather than longer because it's... Uh, uh, well, there is a, there is a long there's version. There's a much longer version. <laughs> <laughs> um, Max and Maxime, who are my two co-founders, um, Maxime has a background in computer science. He has his master's in comp sci and network security, and he's uh, worked all over Europe, um, worked in South Korea for a while, India shortly, and then moved to Vietnam to work for an artificial intelligence company that was analyzing uh, financial content and giving recommendations to fund managers. Now, the other co-founder, Max, has his background in physics, uh, master's in complex adaptive systems, which is uh, a mix of kind of physics hybrid. Um, both very smart guys, point being, um, they met together at this company that I described about Maxime uh, that was giving fund managers recommendations. And at the time, they were using artificial intelligence for this very specific use case. Um, which was trying to help aid uh, those in the financial markets. And they wanted to do something more meaningful. Uh, they both came from farming families uh, in Europe between Stuttgart and Bordeaux and thought maybe they could apply it to farming, um, which is where it becomes interesting. So they built this beta that could identify uh, powdered mildew on plants. And they were lucky enough to find canopy in that mix because when you look at cannabis uh, within the greater agriculture space, you're looking at a crop that is has higher margins by about 35x. You're looking at younger growers who are more interested in adopting new technologies. And you're looking at an area within specifically Colorado where you have tons of saturation of the industry just given the legality of it. Okay. So you know you talked a little bit about the origins. How has the business evolved? You know Talk to me about, uh, talk to us about the pivots uh, in, you know, focusing on cannabis initially and certain applications there to broadening to general agriculture. Uh, what triggered that and why? And uh, how's it coming along? Um, so when we came out of the Canopy program initially, we had all these great contacts um, from the program uh, within the space of cannabis. And it was really valuable to go out and be able to test the technology before bringing it uh, to agriculture. One of the big problems that a lot of egg tech startups um, in outdoor agriculture speci specifically have is that building ROI use cases takes a really long time because you have to wait for corn to grow, which only happens over a period of four months in a given summer. Uh, and then you have to wait another eight months to corn kicks off again. So what we did was used the proof that we had from our cannabis growers and went out and installed uh, in uh, over center pivots, which are those big sprinklers you see, Kansas, Nebraska, Colorado. You see them like when you're flying over the United States, these like big yep. circles, right? These crop circles. Crop exactly. Circles. Yep. Uh, so we installed cameras over those, and that was our move into outdoor agriculture where we're monitoring for farmers um, on a daily, if not uh, minute by minute basis. Some farmers keep these on every single minute throughout the day when they're watering their crops, and this is the next best use case that we could branch into. And um, interestingly, farmers have been uh, adopting technology, especially mobile technology, from the early days. I recall in another business that I was involved in, they created a uh, mobile app for this media business uh, that served like a B2B magazine media company 
that served farmers and they were shocked at the adoption of the farmers in the field on their smartphones uh, looking up share, uh, uh, prices on uh, crops and like monitoring what those markets look like the, the whole time while they're sitting in their, you know, uh, quarter of a million dollar tractor, you know, on autopilot, they're like surfing the web on their smartphone, right? That's right. And so it's not what you might expect, but they're a big market for technology, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. I think that even more recently, they've been like rather inundated with technology applications for their farms because people have really started to realize uh, when you have a perfect market with that much capital rolling around mm -hmm. that the prospects for companies that can innovate are come with very high rewards. Cool. Cool. So let's, um, let's shift gears a little bit and um, uh, talk a little bit about the experience that you, Max, and Maxine had in Canopy Boulder's Accelerator. So talk to me about what that was like. I think there are a couple important takeaways from the Canopy experience because often, especially as a startup, um, you go through that the struggle of should we attend an accelerator? You know, what are the benefits for us? And uh, primarily, my co-founders Max and Maxime uh, found it especially valuable with certain areas like the business background that they didn't have previously which I think is important for every co-founder, even coming from a corporate finance background where I was working in banking before, I didn't necessarily have the experience that you need to start a company. Um, it's much different to go out and build cap tables uh, for a M&A uh, transaction than it is to go out and develop your valuation mm -hmm. for your first seed round. Mm -hmm. um, it's much less tangible. Um, so that was super helpful. Mm -hmm. The next, uh, and probably most helpful, which is continue to pay dividends, is the ability to leverage the Canopy network uh, going forward after the program, mm -hmm. right? So it, it's, it was great to have the fundamentals behind us, but ultimately, it's in an industry like cannabis where it is rather ancestral, for lack of a better word, people know each other, but it takes a long time to break in and build those relationships to leverage the people that know each other. and so. At this point now, if we want to get in touch with one of the gigantic growers in Canada, we are less than three degrees of separation away. Mm -hmm. And that makes a huge difference, especially in a startup where things need to happen yesterday. Mm -hmm. uh, so where everyone else is going out and trying to break down doors and uh, figure out how they can get uh, in touch with certain stakeholders, uh, we can simply leverage the Canopy Network. So, you know, it's, it's interesting, I, and I think a good transition to talk a little bit about how you approach entrepreneurship. Um, you know, you're in the office almost every day, you know, uh, uh, working at the desks that the teams were at while we're out of session, and it's great to have you around. But I've always been impressed by your sort of, your how you don't give up um, on connecting with investors. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you approach entrepreneurship and your role as CEO engaging with investors? Uh, um, sure. I mean, it, it starts with like a, a sense of, um, I, I can't remember if it was either you or, or Micah, the other um, Canopy Managing Director who is, uh, who mentioned this to me, I think when we were first getting started, but 
you treat it, especially as an entrepreneur, it is in the investor's best interest to know that you exist as a company because you know that you're going to make money for somebody mm -hmm. and some of those investors somewhere. So if they don't answer the first email, if they don't answer the first phone call, that means almost nothing. Mm -hmm. If they don't answer the fifth email, it still means that you want to get them your potential opportunity mm -hmm. or the opportunity to invest in your company in front of them. And as a CEO, I treat it as uh, something that is of, it's obviously uh, the top priority for any given startup, right? Um, but it comes from even like having a, a little bit of background in sales. Um, if there are people that are within, uh, especially if they're within you know, 100 miles of the Canopy Boulder office, um, they are a target to be involved with our company. Um, and I don't take that lightly. So there are examples of, yeah, I'm probably getting towards it, but um, I've waited in lounges of VC offices to hand people our physical deck. Um, and those turned into meetings, you know, after that was, I think I had sent over 10 emails to this investor and he had not responded and I knew that he was opening them. Um, but by the time that I had given him the deck personally and shake his hand, um, he was ready to sit down and have a conversation. Right. And, and it, I think one of the stories you told was exactly that scenario where, or a similar scenario where you waited, you, you saw that he was opening your emails and on the back end of your system of communication and then you just started posting up at his <laughs> office until he showed up so you could actually hand him the deck and uh, then that led to a meeting and you know I think it was great because uh, what I recall from the, the story is that he really appreciated it uh, your sort of stick it to itness mm -hmm. and then he said it wasn't right for me but he made like two other introductions That's right? right exactly and you sort of daisy chain your way to the investor eventually it's not always the lesson here is it's 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 going to be harder than you expected it'll take longer than you'd expected but if you stick at to it and you have a good offering um, and you're confident and you've gone through the process of making sure you have an answer for every question uh, the investors really respect that. Mm -hmm. They expect that for preparation. They expect, they respect it and they expect it, right? That you're going to be uh, somebody that, uh, even if it's not right for them, to, to have that warm introduction to another investor is, you know, that that is, I guess, the payoff for all the initial work that you do. Um, because it's, you know, the, the work of a, being a startup is in some ways it's, they say it's like making, you know, making a lot of friends, right? Uh, because somebody is going to see this opportunity and like it um, more, more likely than not. It just may take longer and be harder than you would expect. Um, so, you know, how have you seen um, tech and AI, these spaces you're in, be used in the cannabis industry uh, and, and then, you know, for everybody on the podcast who's thinking about this, what are some of the opportunities that you see for this AI computer learning tech space in the, in the sector? Um, I think the, the general take would be that uh, especially AI within um, the cannabis industry is in some relative nascency. Um, there are a lot of people that are talking about things that they can do with AI and 90% of them uh, cannot do it. Mm -hmm. It's uh, the unfortunate consequence. Um, part of that is that collecting data within cultivations, you have to be 
in Colorado or California or Canada. You have to be somewhere where it's legal. You have to be surrounded by these uh, folks where you can go out and collect data because uh, you have to have big data sets to go out and train mm -hmm. neural networks. Um, that's not to say uh, there are a lot of opportunities within the space. Um, we can give an inside take on the, the podcast here. I think the one that we get uh, rec requested uh, most often besides our computer vision use case is uh, irrigation. Mm -hmm. um, if there were machine learning models that could uh, give growers um, the identification of slowing uh, of water application within uh, their cultivations, it would be a huge help um, all the way to its stopping. And if you could correlate irrigation practices with chemical inputs and growth rates, you could have a really, really valuable model that would mm -hmm. be able to increase yield. There'd be tons of different ROI um, cases that you could use to justify the payoffs. Um, and those are not extensively complicated models to build, uh, but they do require um, a lot of blocking and tackling, mm -hmm. um, just like you mentioned, meeting people, shaking hands, pushing pilots forward, mm -hmm. and finding the right hardware, and then ultimately going and kicking off pilots. And, um, you know, the, I'm sure people are on the podcast now are like, well, geez, Colin, you guys seem like you have it all together. Why aren't you doing that? <laughs> uh, what's your answer to that question? Um, yeah. uh, we, we focus on doing one thing really well. Um, our problem is hard enough as it is. And uh, for those to give a little bit more detail, specifically, we focused on really low cost hardware uh, to go out and build our use cases so that when the stakeholders are looking at the internal rate of return of our solution relative to anything else, including mm -hmm. manual labor of going mm -hmm. out and scouting uh, their plants for diseases and pests, um, we want to be uh, heads and shoulders um, above what that cost, or below rather, above on the return rate. Mm -hmm. um, so simply is we're focused on one very, very specific use case within computer vision and we have no plans to branch out in the near future, um, it could happen. So if those of you are thinking about building a, your irrigation neural network model, <laughs> you better, uh, better get to it and apply to Canopy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're definitely open to that one, for sure. So, you know, shifting gears again, I'd like to jump around. You know, you came into the cannabis industry. You were outside. Mm -hmm. You were in uh, finance and, you know, looking at uh, general ag and tech. Why, why did you choose the cannabis industry as an entrepreneur? Um, so I, I wanted to get into the operational space of business. I'd spent um, my entire career from working in banking um, on a sales desk uh, to working for an investment fund as a technology analyst. And uh, at the time, I was looking for what are the industries? You do kind of the, that screening process that you mm -hmm. have uh, when you're looking for like the, what's the next step in, in life? And this is like one of those big steps. And so I needed to have something that uh, had a, a secular trend that was beta verse. So those that aren't familiar, it means simply if there's an economic recession, uh, you're not going to lose your job immediately as if you were to build like a, a Snapchat at the wrong time, mm -hmm. you know, they would have lost the business. Um, so agriculture was one of those spaces. Now, you also have a bit of a black swan um, that opens the door for innovation within agriculture as you dig a little bit deeper, and that's cannabis. So the last time, well, there really isn't a good comparable for the last time the agriculture has had a crop that could use technology that was innovated within that specific cultivation to go out and change how other crops are grown across the entire world. And with cannabis, you have... Uh, 
the ability to go out and put sensors into cultivation, so you can put cameras in the field, and inevitably that will change how trillions and trillions of dollars in product um, is cultivated in far beyond the U.S. Obviously, Russia, every you know, country in the world, and so as an entrepreneur, I looked and saw that this seems like a great equation where ultimately you're trying to mitigate risk every day on top of meeting people, um, and this seems like a really great way to. Uh, protect um, all of that hard work that you do day in, day out from any kind of uh, issues that you might encounter. So, you know, you've been in the industry for a while. How have you seen the industry change um, and how has that affected your business? Uh, so the changes in, in two ways, um, technology innovation, even over the past 12 months, and then uh, capital. Uh, so the, in the first side, uh, technology innovation, we continue to see more um, pilots going on in all the cultivations that we work with, um, whether it's um, some type of um, maybe not irrigation technologies, but chemical application technologies, trimming technologies, automation, um, and it's uh, a product basically of people going into cannabis and trying to prove out their tech before they move to general ag, mm -hmm. which is great. Mm -hmm. um, it allows us to go and meet the right people. Um, generate partnerships, especially as you move into this uh, much bigger space of um, the corn and soybeans world. The second piece is the capital, um, which everyone within the industry knows. If you're outside of the industry and don't read newspapers, then you might not be as aware. Uh, but when you look at the, uh, especially the Canadian market in particular, these companies only really sell uh, a couple of million dollars at any given quarter but the cash balances on their balance sheet are all over $200 million. Right, up in, up in Canada. Up in Canada. They're billion-dollar companies. And so all of these players have a lot of money that they're going to have to spend at some point in the future. Um, it may not be necessarily while the stock prices are continuing to go through the roof, but even inevitably they will. And I think that's going to bring a lot more innovators into the space as people start to realize that. I don't think it's quite as well-known at this point, but... Um, you can simply go through the filings and see all of these companies have yeah. just so much capital. So we were, Colin and I were both in Toronto a couple weeks ago for uh, a couple of conferences, trade show and conference up there, um, and we got to meet a lot of the people uh, here, uh, speak with them about what their plans are, and um, I think it's pretty clear that they understand they've got, they've, they've sort of engineered this um, through pub going public, uh, all this capital, they need to deploy it. And, and they're Canadian entities, and they're trying to figure out uh, how, how and where they can deploy it globally. And it makes a lot of sense to invest in their next-door neighbor, which is the United States, where this is going to be the, probably the largest cannabis market in the world. And, and they know that. Mm -hmm. They know that Canada will only be so big, and export opportunities will be will be opportunities, but they'll have a lot of competition. Um, so, it, you know, the last probably two three weeks, I think, you know, at least we've been uh, experiencing a lot of out, a lot of outreach from those Canadian uh, licensed producers, um, trying to figure out how to participate in the United States, specifically in the ancillary products. And services sectors, technology, AI, computer vision, that uh, blends well with their narrative around cultivation and uh, growing that. So it's a, it's it's a great time, 
Um, it's still the early innings for sure, but gosh, if Canada and the Canadian licensed producers have not come uh, onto the field with deep pockets ready to play, um, it's, it's, it's certainly an exciting time. You know, we've spoken before on this podcast about how in the U.S. the industry has been relatively uh, cash-starved. You know, just more entrepreneurs wanting capital than uh, investors willing to invest because of the sort of federal law. Um, in Canada, that's not a problem. And it's a great, a great um, sort of view into our future right down here as to what can happen. And, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see now how the Canadian licensed producers evolve with the U.S. market as the U.S. market comes closer to legalizing hemp, right, in uh, hopefully the near future here, and then ultimately uh, full uh, THC cannabis. Um, it's it's going to be a wild ride for sure. Um, future plans for Deep Green. What's in the future? Oh, I don't know if we have enough time for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, the future plans are to continue to... Uh, We've had a lot of success in the cannabis space, which has been great. Um, we've been able to prove out uh, yield savings for our growers, um, all the way to savings on inputs like uh, chemicals and beneficials. Um, and so, especially as those cultivations continue to grow, the supply of um, flour that's grown uh, within both the U.S. and Canada, it's been an easy target for us to go out and uh, continue to prove our use cases, show value to our customers. Um, but um, we've also made a move into the outdoor agriculture space, um, and we're going to be kicking off um, some winter trials uh, coming forward here with uh, um, potentially a couple big companies in partnership. Um, and then on top of that is um, continue to, to find ways to, to monetize our data, right? So as any uh, AI company or machine learning company, um, it's it's important to be able to integrate your technology on the front end with partners that are willing to deploy it for you. Uh, but there's much more value to be able to go in and take that data that you've collected and find people that are willing to pay for it because that's 99% net margin uh, business. So mm -hmm. if we can find ways to go out and uh, show seed companies mm -hmm. how well that their specific um, varieties are growing in certain areas of the world, um, that's going to be hugely beneficial for their R&D teams, um, and so on and so on. Yeah, data, it's like every pitch, that almost every pitch we, we hear uh, at Canopy Boulder uh, includes data. And I make this joke that at nauseum around the office that uh, big data in the cannabis industry is like kissing in middle school. Everybody's talking about how they were going to do it, but no one knows really what they're doing, right, or are doing it yet. So uh, we see a lot of opportunities for data, um, you know, in the near term and the long term. It's uh, what we've found is that most companies are still gathering, you know, customers, building up that data set. So I think, you know, it's easy to predict with a uh, high certainty that we will start seeing uh, data driven businesses in the cannabis industry and general ag. Um, and not just a, like a light drive, like light drive, like a heavily driven data uh, business approach in the near future. Um, so if you're an entrepreneur and you've got, that's part of your vision, we'd love to talk to you. Um, last question, uh, what is your top must do 
for an aspiring entrepreneur in the cannabis industry. This is someone who has an idea, they're, they're forming, and they're ready to get serious. What would you recommend that they do? So there, there are probably two things on the must-do side. Um, the first one is locate who your primary users, locate your primary users and go out and meet them. This isn't a phone call or an email. This is a face-to-face -face sit down and hash out if your product can, uh, can improve their life. And not necessarily even your product, but the first phase of your product mm -hmm. so that you don't get to the steps of uh, pushing forward on this idea, leaving your job, and all of a sudden identify that you don't have product market fit uh, because you see tons and tons of entrepreneurs that get so excited and that blind optimism is something that they feed off of, but ultimately it's just not something that uh, their customers are interested or can pay for. Uh, so figuring that out is uh, the most important thing you could possibly do. The second most important is uh, finding a way to explain your idea in a very, very simple way, um, simple form rather, that you can go out and show a handful of investors. Gauge their interest. Get the feedback uh, from them because they're seeing way more companies uh, than you could ever do be exposed to under research. And they'll be able to give you a lot of tips that will be able to uh, accelerate your progression mm -hmm. towards who else is working in the space, what are they working on, what should you focus on. And if you can combine those two ideas from the people that are seeing all different sorts of ideas to the people that really need these ideas, uh, you can move a long ways in progressing your business into something that's going to uh, prevent you from spending months, uh, weeks, weeks, months, years at a time in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. um, and I find it's, it's often just skipped over for whatever reason because people just want to work fast and don't want to work smart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's nothing better than sitting down with someone, uh, explaining what you're doing, and then asking, what could I do for you? that would inspire you to pick up the phone and call you know, two or three people like you in the industry and make introductions. Absolutely. Yes. Right? I yes. mean, sometimes, I mean, you, you don't want them to say, oh, I'd love you to go out and uh, write my wife's name in the, in the sky with a skywriting plane, right? Like, th that's not what we're talking about here. We need to, like, keep it in around what you're doing at Deep Green when you're talking to these folks. But approaching them in a way of sort of respect and saying, hey, what could I do to help you? You understand now what I'm doing, but let's talk collaboratively. So it becomes this uh, conversation of uh, almost uh, equals, right? As opposed to, you know, sort of standing and kneeling before them and asking, begging them, pleading with them to like take on what you're doing. You know, people just, they're busy in the industry, lots going on, but if you can do something, if you can, you know, use your two ears and one mouth in that right order, ask a question, let them speak and hear what their needs and desires are. It can really inform uh, what your business uh, can do often, because maybe it's something you haven't thought of and give you sort of a new direction, maybe a slight, a slight divergence from what you thought was the vision, but that's what you need. You need input, right? You know, we always say like, we don't really care what you think as an entrepreneur. We like to understand what your large target addressable market is thinking. And if we can find sort of that, you know, where the two meet, perfect. 
right? Perfect. <laughs> so, um, Colin, I want to thank you for being on the Canopy Boulder podcast. For everyone who is interested in learning more about Deep Green, I'd encourage you to go to deepgreen.ai. That's deepgreen.ai, uh, just like it sounds. And also, if you enjoyed the podcast, uh, please make sure you go on to iTunes or whatever podcast uh, listening app that you're using. Give us a review, rate us, and uh, subscribe. Uh, for now, uh, again, thank you, Colin. Thanks so and, much for having um, me, Patrick. Thanks for everybody on the podcast listening. Uh, stay tuned for our next episode coming up next week. Thank you very much. Now for the disclaimers. Uh, please do not take any information from the Canopy Boulder podcast or its guests as investment advice. Be sure to contact your licensed financial advisor before making any investment decisions. So thank you for listening and please join us for another Canopy Boulder podcast episode coming to you soon.